Hey everybody, this is Andy, aka Love Retro BTW, across Twitter, Instagram, and Twitch. I do a podcast every Saturday called Cafe BTW, a morning gaming podcast, a retrospective look at the wonderful world of retro gaming, from interviews to guests. Join us every Saturday, like a Saturday morning cartoon, starting at 8 a.m., 11 a.m. Eastern. Also, if you're on Twitter, Please join the brand new retro gaming community, a place to share, connect, and show your love for the retro gaming community. All the links are down below. And remember, enjoy the Gamers Week podcast. Coming up on Gamers Week podcast. I was on tour for a year. I did every show and I actually even dislocated my knee at one point. During a show in Kalamazoo, um, we were doing a fight scene and there was a point where one of the uh, Baraka guys, I landed on his foot. Everything was pre-recorded, so we didn't have to worry about voice. So I I say to him, um, put me in a headlock and drag me backstage. And I sit on the edge edge of the stage and I go, pull it out. And he goes, I am touching it. I just want one of those showers, though, that is like, you know, like 360, you know, that sprays yeah, oh you from all directions. God, yes. I would love to have that. Oh, my God. I mean, my water bill would be ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> like, Ryan, haven't you been in there for four hours? Yeah. Just getting <laughs> relaxed. <laughs> I do everything here. <laughs> just, just take like a, a Ziploc bag, put it over your laptop and start work from there. <laughs> <laughs> Got a Zoom meeting up. <laughs> but you want to be formal because you're at work, so you just wear a tie. <laughs> <laughs> this is black tie, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. It's dress code, technically. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Let's do this. Oh, wait, I don't even have the notes pulled up. <laughs> Apparently, it's my first time. fly by the seat of your pants. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Make it up as I go along. <laughs> Welcome to Gamers Week Podcast. Like the name says, we analyze the best, worst, and weirdest headlines of the past week in the video game industry. This is episode 66, and today is Tuesday, March 28th, 2023. That's right. We are recording a day early because Midwest Gaming Classic is this weekend. Holla! I will be there, of course. My name is Blue Williams, and I'll be your host this evening. Uh, Joining me will be my first co-host, who was last seen searching for a secret treasure out on the bottom of a Spanish lake. (laughs) Please say hello to the one and only Donnie G. Oh, now I get it. I was like, what the hell is he talking about? And now I get it. Make your jokes. Make your jokes. Pick your fun. (laughs) One... (laughs) Three, four, five, six. You son of a. (laughs) One, one gunshot. Uh, Two, two gunshots. 
Donnie and I will be at Midwest Gaming Classic. So if you're going to be there, be sure to find us, say hi, get a sticker, and it'll be awesome. Or a business card. Or a business card, yes. Stickers are better, but yes, (laughs) whatever you're into. And we are also joined tonight, of course, by our second co-host, who is the Aladdin of body odor in that he's shown me a whole new world. A whole new world, a fabulous tension point of view. (laughs) And in the interest of full disclosure, he wrote that intro himself, probably so he could sing that song. No, actually, that was uh, an impromptu singing of that. But okay. uh, still, you wrote it yourself. It's true. I did write it myself. <laughs> <laughs> so you know it's true. Mm-hmm. Girls, you know it's true. All right. Well, guess what, 90s kids? We have a very special episode tonight. Later on in the show, we'll be joined by Sonya Blade herself, the one and only Carrie Ann Hoskins of Mortal Kombat fame. So be sure to stick around for that. But for now, let's get into the show with our reviews, reactions, and requests. First up from Kid Polay, I'm always enjoying the podcast, and Blue made me buy Iconoclast this morning. I am not sorry. It's an awesome game. (laughs) Next is Gaming Games, who said, you think you know a podcast, but two-thirds of them didn't know what getting a couple of pops with the boys means. I thought it was soda, and because I've only ever heard soda <laughs> referred to as pop, I have never heard beer referred to as pop. No, never once. It's like a tongue-in-cheek joke, right? Like, oh, yeah, me and my boys were getting a few pops, if you know what I mean. Tongue-in-butt-cheek. <laughs> <laughs> You're not wrong. There, there's a, I'm sure there's some of that, too. Yes. So. All right, last up from Marsupial Gamer. When I started listening, I had no idea I'd be Googling are all chaps assless by the end. <laughs> but here we are. I mean, it's it's a fact. All chaps are assless. So there you go. You learn stuff on the Gamers Week podcast. Right. <laughs> we strive in our podcast to keep people thinking. Keep your curiosity afloat. <laughs> Came for the video game. Stay for the assless chaps. <laughs> Oh God! If I could have, if I could get a pair of chaps for Midwest Gaming Classic, I would. Oh no! <laughs> I mean, you could just call it cosplay. <laughs> yes, I could. Oh my God! It's, it's your Red Dead Redemption cosplay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, and now it's time for the. Ladies and gentlemen, you're about to behold a sound so strange, so horrifying, so utterly monstrous that I urge you who are easily frightened or upset, who suffer from nervous disorders, weak hearts and queasy stomachs, or who experience nightmares or any edgelords of Twitter to forgo listening to this exhibit. (laughs) Enter, if you dare, this week's very important poll. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Whatever it is, I'll buy it. It's <laughs> going for Carnival Barker. I, I think I nailed it. I think, yeah, I I think it. you did. We continue to outdo <laughs> ourselves. Well, every Monday on Twitter, we post our VIP, our very important poll. And if you'd like to participate, follow us on Twitter at Gamers Week PC. So the question this week was In honor of International Doctors' Day, who is your favorite medical professional in video games? Coming in third place were the nurses from Silent Hill at 16.5%. 
Coming in second place was Nurse Joy from Pokemon at 32.3%. And taking this one with no surprise whatsoever is Dr. Mario with 38.7% of the vote. But 12.5% of you said others, so let's look at the comments from the poll. Starting with at Sea Holland Art, some forget that Luigi has a doctorate as well. At Blaze Knight 0923 said everyone's favorite medic, Ragnarok from Valkyrie Chronicles 4. This pup is quick to save the day when his units are down, ensuring that you can get them back on the battlefield in a turn or two. He chose the dog. He chose the dog. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Next up from Big Bro Gogo says Luna from Virtue's Last Reward. Definitely one of the nicest people in that whole game. At Vectrex21 said, Tay from Persona 5, can't say no to the goth doc. And last up from at Go Hobo Go, Dr. Zed from Borderlands. I would say Dr. Mario, but he tends to over-medicate his patients. Well done, sir. <laughs> I mean, if you read the instruction booklet, it actually says that they're vitamins. Quote, unquote, vitamins. Vitamins kill viruses? <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> We're doing it wrong all this time. <laughs> Common cold, by coronavirus, done. Just just pop a few uh, vitamin B12s and you're good. Yep. yep. <laughs> fish oil, heavy fish oil. <laughs> all right. So taking a look at the poll, Blue, what did you go with? I went with Dr. Mario, obviously. That's the game that I have the most hours in, but it's actually really close for me between Dr. Mario and the Silent Hill nurses. I just think they're such a cool character design. They're so iconic. They're so terrifying, especially the first time you run into them in the game and you're just like, what the f*** is that? (laughs) Kill it with fire. I think they are so cool. So you went with the nurses and Dr. Mario. That's pretty much the opposite end of the spectrum. So I appreciate your range. (laughs) Yeah, you know, two sides of the same coin. (laughs) Donnie, what about you? Uh, I almost chose the nurses just because, like Blue said, the first time you meet them, I still remember, at least I think this is how it happened. You're in that hallway and you're walking through and they like if you if you move too quickly, then they'll they'll like they'll stab you. They'll kill you. Mm-hmm. That was creepy as hell. And then I started thinking like all these other different doctors that are in the games, like Dr. Mario, Dr. Wily, Dr. Robotnik. Like, eh, these guys have all been played out. I went with a doctor and nurse combination Ooh. from one of my favorite games, Dead by Daylight. And uh. that is <laughs> the doctor from Dead by Daylight, who is, uh, I, I can't remember which what hospital he was in. Uh, it might have been the Crotus Pan Asylum, um, but he's he's one of the scariest people in Dead by Daylight, as well mm-hmm. as Sally Smithson, the nurse from Dead by Daylight. And she can teleport around the map. And you hear this like this crackled breathing from here. That, ah, ah, <laughs> what was that? Ah, ah. And... When she does her teleport thing, you have no idea where she's going to show up. You're looking one way. You start to turn and go the other way. Next thing you know, she's hacking you down with her saw and you're peeing your pants. So that's my one-two punch combination for the best doctor and nurse in video game. With an honorable mention of John Cena, the doctor of thugonomics. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody mentioned that on Twitter and I thought that was great. Nice. So what about you, Ryan? 
So one of the things I do want to point out is this was medical professionals, and I think a few people had replied with uh, doctors, but not necessarily medical professionals. So uh, Dr. Wiley and Dr. Robotnik do not count. Yeah, they take care of robots and stuff like that. But if you're if you're healing a robot, you're a mechanic, not a medical professional. So wanted to make sure that we kind of drew the line there. Do they have doctorates? Yes, they do have doctorates. But I said, who is your favorite medical professional? <sighs> it's so fact up. Whatever, whatever. Oh, yeah. Just it's technicality. It's only the question I asked. <laughs> <laughs> Sabotage. <laughs> But point being is, uh, you know, I'm going to go with a medical professional that I enjoyed as a kid. And uh, it's probably no surprise to anybody who is a fan of Pokemon. But I'm going to go with Nurse Joy in this one. Uh, just like Brock had a crush on her. Uh, she heals your Pokemon. She's awesome. She's in the cartoons as well. You know, she doesn't heal the Pokemon. She kills them. And then just replaces them. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yep. She kills them. She clones them and kills them. Kills the original one. I gotta look. Are you? You're being serious, aren't you? <laughs> I am. That's an actual like, fan theory that's out there. Oh, you have just ruined my entire f- childhood. Thank you for that. <laughs> yes, my work here is done. Hello, nurse. <laughs> <laughs> look it up. I am not the only person to say so. Ladies and gentlemen, we got him. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's move on to our patron shoutouts. We couldn't do what we do without the help of our gorgeous patrons. Here are the generous folks supporting Gamers Week on Patreon. We have five new patrons to announce. Yes, one, two, three, four, five. That's the same combination I have on my luggage. A big thank you and welcome to Ducks in a Pie, Ducks in the Skies, Ducks in Black Ties, Ducks with Star Eyes, and Ducks in Surprise. They'll be joining the Wizard of Zardoz, Bobs and Dugnut, Retro Blast Pat, Orgasmo 3000, Great Cyaman 81, BNT Zilla Guy, Geek with That, Johnny Boombots, Crunchy Kong, Sheriff Snacks, Frank Grande, Love Retro BTW, Steven Sand, Ramboski, Terry Canary, Ducks in Disguise, Jim and Colleen, Games with Coffee, Hybrid Divide, You Fall Before Me, Davey PGH, the Red Ox PDX family, including Shannon and Luke, Zach Huge Thanks, Number One Blue Sick Voice Fan, Random Retro Dude, Princess Kitty Mew Mew, Rai Rai's Secret Best Friend, Mega Retro Man, Game Metroid, Emo Esque, Bill Tucker, The Real Retro Game Brews, Fruitcake's Number One Stan, and Ducks with Thick Thighs. If you like what you hear today, and we really hope you do, please consider joining us on Patreon. Your support helps cover the cost of producing the show, as well as other cool stuff we'll be doing, like prizes and giveaways. You'll also gain access to our weekly patron-only bonus cast called Gamers Week Uncut, Patrons with Benefits. Visit patreon.com slash gamersweek or follow the link in the show notes to learn more. All right, let's move on to our headline segment, which is, of course, proudly sponsored by the Retro Game Club podcast. It's a fantastic, family-friendly retro gaming podcast. In each episode, Rob and Hugh pick two games to play and discuss, as well as news, interviews, and other topics. Currently, they're playing through Kakoma Night in Busyland and Burger Time Deluxe. Visit them at RetroGameClub.net or follow the link in the show notes. I'm going to be honest, I have never heard of Kakoma Night in Busyland. You and me both. I wonder what game system it's for. Are you muted, Ryan? Yes, he is. Oh, man. I've never heard of it either. (laughs) (laughs) You want to know a funny story? Sure. Right before this, we were watching Ducks in Disguise's stream. 
And I said, I have to go. We're going to record. And Wizard of Zardoz was in the chat. And he said, remind Retro Game Brews to unmute his mic. <laughs> well, you've <laughs> failed because I you never reminded me. And here I am. <laughs> Yes, I've never I've never played this one, but it's on the Super Nintendo. Just, All right. Wow. Yeah, just, just looked it up. We're looking forward to the episode then. All right. First up from IGN, rumors swirl around E3's future as Sega and even more publishers back out. Concern over E3's 2023 future is growing, prompting more publishers to drop out behind Nintendo, Xbox, Sony, and Ubisoft. IGN has learned that Sega and Tencent will be skipping E3 2023 amid rumors that the promised triumphant return of the gaming's biggest event may not happen after all. IGN reporters have spoken with numerous individuals in publishing and PR who typically know event strategies, all of whom express concern about the status of this summer's event. Many told us that they hadn't heard of anyone else who was planning to attend for sure. Some said that they felt that there had been a significant lack of communication from the ESA and organizers read pop as to what exactly they should expect from the show. What's more, Repop is preparing for further internal shakeup next month, per an email to the staff. Lance Fensterman, the company's president for the last 14 years, is preparing to step down, leaving current VP and Repop veteran since 2004, Michael Kiskin, to fill his shoes. With only two months to go before E3 2023 is scheduled, in Los Angeles, the mood surrounding the show is far cry from previous years. At a time when companies would normally be preparing to announce their major showcases and business people, media, and public would be booking travel, instead, there's a pervasive question as to whether or not the show will happen at all. And if it does, those responsible for participating fear that they may find themselves shackled to an expensive husk of a show as the rest of the industry moves on. Wow. Yikes. It would have been better for E3 to never come back than to come back and fail before it even could get off the ground. Yeah, that's not good. I mean, when Sega says they're not showing up. And that coming from Johnny, that really says a lot. Right. Well, I mean, like all that, like in all reality, what has Sega done lately? So when, when Sega's like, oh, well, we need to be cool and hip. Hey, we're not attending E3 either. And everybody's like, Sega, you're still alive? <laughs> E3 is not good enough for the next Mega Drive Mini. <laughs> no, it's not. And the fact that it's two months away and nobody knows what's going on. I'm I'm going to I'm going to make the prediction here this will not go down. This will not happen. This reminds me of that like like fire fest that they put on with like Ja Rule and that other guy, oh, right. you know. Yeah. <laughs> Where they didn't say anything, they just said give us more money, give us more money and uh-huh. didn't communicate anything that was going on. That's what it sounds like here. It sounds like they've just kind of mailed it in. They said, "Oh yeah, well we're going to buy up the properties for E3." Reed popped it and they're not doing anything with it. And what a shame. You know, I think so many people were excited this idea that E3 was still going to be a thing. And way to drop the ball. Are you really surprised, though? No, no. We've been talking <laughs> for months about how there doesn't really seem to be a place for E3 anymore. Uh, Sony, Microsoft, and Nintendo haven't been in forever because they far prefer to put on their own showcases and be mm-hmm. center stage in their own events without competition and mm-hmm. they're all big enough that they can do that and besides that you know the world has changed and and media has changed and game companies can speak directly to consumers without having to deal with this middleman and so 
everybody I think wanted E3 to come back because we have such fond memories of it. Right. But it's it's really kind of proving that there's just there's not really a place for it anymore. No, and with online presentations becoming more and more prevalent, there really is no need to have these big conventions and stuff when when Microsoft can just basically uh, you don't even have to rent out anything. You just create your own stage, come out and say, all right, we have a live event. We're going to broadcast this to millions of people and millions of people will tune in. You're saving yourself a lot of money there. And also there's a lot of stress too, when you have competitors who are all in the same building. Uh, I think the example was, if I remember right, when Xbox or when a PlayStation released PlayStation 3, it was $6.99. They walked up and said $5.99. I forget, maybe I'm not quoting that correctly, but the right, idea was, what you're talking about. yeah, yeah. So it, it's this idea that you've got to present around your competitors where you can really basically run the narrative the way you want to when you do it yourself. There was always that narrative like who won E3 for the, for this year. Uh-huh. Uh, they don't have to deal with that anymore. And that, especially if you didn't win E3, like you were the, the outside console, uh, that hurts your brand. So it required you to really up your game as to what you were showing and what you were doing. Uh, and it took in a lot of time and effort in order to be the, the bell of the ball, if you will. They don't want to have to do that. And even though I think it's fun for us as gamers to watch the show and compare notes and provide each other's opinions as a company. Yeah. I would rather just release when I'm ready at the venue that I want where everybody's putting their eyes on me all at one time, rather than comparing me to every other game company that's out there. But they're still going to have to do that though. If their own individual presentations, they're still going to have to win their presentation or whatnot. Yeah, it's understandable why they would want to go to their own pre-recorded showcases or maybe a closed event where they invite the crowd that's going to be there to right, do a right. showcase and then air that because then they can control the narrative. They can control uh, what is shown to the world. But no matter what they do, it's not going to stop the internet from talking. Oh, of course. And every time that uh, a Nintendo Direct comes out, uh, everybody and their mother tweets, this was stupid. I hated it. This was a lame Nintendo Direct. Right. Nintendo ain't doing bad. (laughs) So (laughs) Nope, they are not. Somehow I feel like it's having an impact on at least somebody, even the people who say it sucks. Just saying. Yeah. We keep buying it. Yep. (laughs) Next up from Games Radar. More U.S. Congress members are accusing Sony of hurting Xbox in Japan. The U.S. government is under increasing pressure to examine the competition between PlayStation and Xbox in Japan. That comes from Axios, which reports that Congress members from both sides are telling the Biden administration that Sony's business practices in Japan are blocking U.S. companies from competing in the gaming space, which could fall foul of trade deals between the two. Today, we write to bring to your attention the imbalanced Japanese video game market, which we are concerned may be a result of a discriminatory trade practice that could violate the spirit of the U.S.-Japan Digital Trade Agreement. One letter from four Republicans reads, The letter mentions that Sony's PlayStation has 98% of the high-end console market in Japan, and that the console maker signs deals designed to keep Japanese games from Xbox, which may violate Japan's antitrust laws. Now, that's not the first time we've seen the phrase high-end console market thrown around. The short of it is that America's Federal Trade Commission coined the market definition last year, which removes the Nintendo Switch from conversations around Sony and Microsoft's consoles. It's inspired a fair bit of debate, as Nintendo is a major player in Japan, and removing the company from the conversation doesn't paint what many believe to be a complete picture. 
The news also comes at a time when Japan's Federal Trade Commission has approved Microsoft's deal to acquire Activision Blizzard, one which Sony has plenty of qualms over. Indeed, with the UK's Competition and Markets Authority changing its tune over the deal recently and siding with Microsoft, it now looks more likely than ever to pass. So I looked this up really quick to see what the sales numbers are for an Xbox Series X slash S in Japan versus a PS5. Uh, and it's way, way worse than I thought it was. Uh, it's not good. Japanese sales of the PS5 is around 3 million. Uh, so they've sold 3 million so far in Japan and they've sold like 125,000 Xbox Series Xs in Japan. But I mean, is this not the stupidest thing you've ever heard of? Oh, yeah. Of course it is. American politicians complaining that Japanese gamers prefer Japanese consoles. <laughs> I mean, you look at the best selling cars in Japan. They're all Japanese brands. So mm-hmm. do you see like Ford and Dodge up complaining that that unfair business practices are biasing Japanese consumers against American cars? No, because that's stupid. This is ridiculous. I can't believe this is something that politicians are concerning themselves with. This is such a weird fight that these two companies are having Mm -hmm. that it feels like Sony has been calling in favors and greasing palms behind the scenes to convince everyone that exclusives are bad and that Microsoft shouldn't be able to buy Activision Blizzard and have the ability to make Call of Duty exclusive. That's just what game companies have done for forever since like the beginning of video games is Mm -hmm. companies have exclusives for their platforms. And now all of a sudden we have... Politicians complaining that Microsoft is being unfairly biased against in Japan. Now I've, it feels like the only reason they would be doing that is if Microsoft said, look, we have a lot of money. So could you do something about this? <laughs> <laughs> That's the only scenario in my mind that makes sense. And I think that one of the issues you're running into here is the reason that you don't hear about the fact that, for your analogy, Japanese cars being sold in Japan isn't a big deal for Ford and Chrysler and, and GM is because uh, Toyota isn't trying to uh, sue <laughs> Chevrolet <laughs> for, for a specific wheel design that only they can use. So by bringing in government in, uh, oversight into something like this, it just muddies the waters and creates ridiculous things like this, where we've got to make does. up arguments in order to justify you know, our point of view. And of course, it's an American company that's mm-hmm. criticizing a Japanese company for how they run in Japan. Well, granted, there is some history behind that. The Japanese back in like the 70s and 80s dumped a lot of products into the United States and hoping to corner the market. So there is definitely some history behind that. But at this point, why does the US government have anything to do with the Japanese market? They should have nothing to do with it. Yeah, that's that's what I'm saying. (laughs) Are we going country by country and accusing every country where Sony and Xbox are not equal? Or are we just pointing at Japan? Case in point, when you're talking about cars, that would be the same thing if Toyota came over and said, well, we don't do well as far as trucks are concerned, which I think they do as far as the Tundra. But hypothetically, they could be Mm -hmm. like, well, uh, you've, you've got Dodge and you've got Chevy and you've got Ford. They corner the truck market. It's not fair. We're not selling enough. That's so stupid. Have we reached a point in modern day societies where consumers are no longer allowed to choose what they actually want? We're no longer allowed to to reward the best products out there on the market because the government will get involved on behalf of the ones that aren't doing as well for whatever reason they're not doing as well and and boost them up and and try to make consumers buy stuff that they don't actually want. 
And, and this is nothing new, though, for Japan as well. They they haven't bought Xboxes since the beginning of time. No, as far they as never Xbox. have. They were never no. really interested in Xbox. So why should that change now? Because we wanted to, damn it. <laughs> <laughs> because Microsoft said, help us out. We're very rich. This is a result of your participation trophy, right? <laughs> Good job, Timmy. Good job. Everybody gets a participation trophy. That's not fair. That's not fair. They're selling more than us. That's not fair. Well, guess what? This is what this is the result of it. So bring on the meteor. Reset everything. I know. <laughs> bring on the meteor. <laughs> All right, next up from Eurogamer, GameCube and Wii Emulator Dolphin coming to Steam this year. GameCube and Wii Emulator Dolphin is coming to Steam in early access for free in quarter two, 2023. It's currently available to wishlist in advance of a download through Steam. The emulator will provide enhancements like increased resolution and frame rate, save states, and net play for online gaming. Of course, you'll need to own legal copies of the games. Of course. (laughs) (laughs) A disclaimer on Steam reads, this app does not come with games. You must own an original copy of any game you want to use with Dolphin. Emulating will also allow access to community-made mods, and presumably the emulator will also be available to use on Steam Deck. Return to an era of gaming before the advent of microtransactions and experience a diverse library of thousands of titles that were released for these consoles over a span of 15 plus years, reads the Steam description. Dolphin Emulator allows these classic games to be reborn into the modern era with support for 4K displays, modern controllers, and much, much more. All of this fully open source and free to download. Dolphin Emulator creates a virtual environment on your device that is capable of running games originally developed for two of the big ends revolutionary consoles. However, Dolphin itself does not provide any of the games. It is just a tool to run legally obtained copies of these games. Once you have dumped (laughs) copies of your games into a compatible format, you can launch them directly in the emulator. So, of course, there's no no way for them to police this, right? That you're you're not playing illegally obtained games are you because the only way i'm thinking that they could do that would be like all right well if you want to load that game you got to take a picture with it with a sticky note next to it with your name (laughs) your date of birth and your social security number uh and send it to us and we'll unlock this game for you come on i i appreciate the the desire to put that disclaimer but we all know what this is we all know what's gonna happen well actually and and my favorite part about the steam description is it never mentions gamecube it never mentions wii u and it never mentions nintendo yeah the big n right Right. the The big n's cubed shape and motion controlled consoles (laughs) (laughs) i see what you're doing there steam i i wonder if there's going to be a lawsuit over this well I mean, this thing existed prior to being on Steam. Of course, of course. Yeah, so what What does it matter? The emulators are already out there. Any emulator that you can find for the PlayStation, for the Nintendo, the Sega Genesis, they're out there everywhere. So what difference does it make as it finally shows up on Steam? Yeah, because they're not charging you for it, right? It's free of charge. Right. So they're exactly. not making any money off of it, so they don't, yeah, you're right. You know, the thing I have to a question is, can I pop my Wii disc or my GameCube disc in a computer and have it extract the data from there? Uh-uh. Is that an option? <laughs> Is that how I can legally get the, uh, the, 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 the the games for this thing? Like like you guys were saying, we all know what's, what this is leading to. Of course. It's like borrowing CDs from the local library. Before they allow us to do that, they make us sign a statement that says that we will not rip the CDs to our computer. 
Yeah. <laughs> like, okay, <Yeah>. wink. <laughs> <laughs> there are times when I would just leave the library with a stack. I mean, I'm talking about a tower of CDs, and I would bring those back the same day. They're like, wow, you listen to all – yeah, I, I, I'm a quick listener. So, Are you listening to four tracks at once? Yeah, man, I like to party. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, it's that same kind of thing. Like, they're, the business is legally covering their ass, and then everybody else gets to do what everybody knows you're going to do with it. But hopefully all your bases are covered. So basically, this is the head shop of video game sales. You know, there's those water pipes, right? That are tobacco water pipes at a head shop. Like, yeah, that's that's what you're <laughs> going to use that for, right? We all know what you're actually right. going to buy that for. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, honestly, I I haven't downloaded Dolphin, so I'll probably be one of these people that downloads it from Steam. I haven't ventured into GameCube or Wii emulation yet. So thank you, thank you, Steam, for pushing me to go that route. Now, now I have to obtain these illegally from one of those sites. <laughs> yep. I really can't remember any game on the Wii that is going to make me want to download this emulator. There are not a lot of games on the GameCube that are going to make me download this emulator. So Double Dash. I, I have Double Dash. I've got Double Dash on... on you legally own it. <laughs> I do legally own it, so I could play Double Dash on there. But if it uh, offers net play, that might be something Ooh. to look into. Online play with Double Dash. Yes, exactly. You had my curiosity. <laughs> now you have my attention. Can you plug in the Samba de Amigos controllers into your computer? Is the question for oh, me. Oh, there's got to be a, a connector that allows you to do that. Yeah. I'll be shaking those maracas all day, man. <laughs> <laughs> I can see some very interesting streams coming up in the future. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Beat those bongos, baby. Beat those bongos. <laughs> all right. Next up from BGC, Tony Hawk considered backing another skating game before signing with Activision. In an interview with the Diary of a CEO podcast, Tony Hawk was asked if there were any close calls that may have scuppered the deal he eventually signed with Activision. Hawk said that he may have chosen to endorse a rival skating game that was more technically challenging to play had Activision not come knocking when it did. There was another group doing a game that had contacted me, and when I went down the road with them a little bit, he said, I realized what they were trying to do was so much more. It was technically difficult to play because they were trying to truly emulate skating. I felt like I understood the approach, but at the same time, skating wasn't that big when we released the game. And I wanted something that would be more friendly to the non-skater to play, to understand, and to be able to just pick up and start doing tricks. When I saw what Activision had... They had a very early version of a skater doing tricks the way it moved, and to me, it was intuitive. It was perfect. It was like right away, I started playing it, started doing tricks, and it was almost like it was an extension of my body to start doing this on the screen with the skater. And something innately felt right about it to me. I would say if Activision maybe had called a month or two later, I would have already inked a deal. Following positive preview coverage and a growing buzz about the product, Hawk claimed that right before the game had launched, Activision offered him $500,000 buyout of future royalties. Hawk said his decision to turn down a one-off payment in favor of collecting royalties on the series turned out to be the best financial decision of my life, as the franchise would go on to generate over $1 billion in sales. No, you need to say that different. 
No. <laughs> One billion in sales. <laughs> As the franchise would go on to generate over one billion in sales. <laughs> I'll take it. Good call, Tony Hawk. Holy crap. Right? That's his uh, George Lucas moment. <laughs> right? <laughs> you know? It's like, no, no, I'll take the royalties, man. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, was that basically a flip of the coin? Like saying like, uh, you know what? And hear, hear me out. He, he, he said he liked what both companies were doing. One was being super technical, right? It didn't allow for ease of access and entry point into the so-called game. Whereas what Activision was doing, anybody could just pick this thing up and start playing it. So was that some uh, insight or uh, foresight from him being able to say, you know, this actually might take off because if, if people find skating to be cool everybody's going to want to play this game. And then with all the soundtracks and stuff like that, which mm-hmm. in my personal opinion made the franchise was the soundtrack oh, yeah. alone. So basically it's a coin flip, right? You go with one company, you are like, eh, that's not, it's not going to work out. It, it was, it was a bust and yada, yada, yada. Activision picks some other skater and there you go. Now it's Bucky Lasix or Bam Margera's uh, pro <laughs> skater. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I'm going to assume that Tony Hawk was not a huge gamer, before this, I'm going to assume he spent his time practicing as opposed to playing games for, you know, 40 hours a week. But it sounds like he might have been the ideal person to actually make this call because he knew both the skating and what a general gamer would find fun to play. Right. right. As opposed to a hardcore gamer who might have been like, yeah, I like this really difficult stuff because I find it challenging. Obviously, he made the right call, as history has shown. But there's also part of me that thinks that whatever the other company was that was trying to truly emulate what skating was like, that must have felt like a, a kick in the balls to them oh to get turned God. down by Tony Hawk. Yeah. Because you were trying to be too true to the skating. It's like being rejected and then finding out that the person that rejected you went with somebody who looks almost exactly the same. <laughs> well, you rejected me for my twin who happens to be cooler. Right. <laughs> I think the one thing that, that differentiates Tony Hawk though, is that you, I think Donnie, you nailed it with the, the soundtrack that was in it as well. It, it matched the entire culture of skating of with video games, right? Where it wasn't just about the, the, the skating aspect to it. It was about the entire culture piece to it. And eventually those games would go on to be like really punk too, you know, where uh, you were doing specific like side quests and stuff that were about stealing something or, or, you know, it was the lifestyle. But that helped, I think, propel it because all of a sudden the the kids in the 90s, they just embraced everything about skating because of that. It was this great push into that. And that's probably why it made a billion dollars in sales, because all of a sudden it became the cool thing to do. And whether that is just this video game that got there or, or you had some momentum coming into it. I remember everybody and their mother wore skate shoes and uh, told people that they knew how to skate, even if they didn't. Uh-huh. I, I wore skate shoes and I never yeah, skated a day in my life. <laughs> <laughs> I could skate. I actually could skate. I couldn't pull off a move to save my life. But man, I tried so hard. I did not wear skate shoes. I didn't want to be called out. <laughs> <laughs> you fucking poser. I had some integrity, at least back in the day. <laughs> it's just interesting. Like that, those are the stories that I love to, to research when it comes to gaming history 101. So to hear uh, that, you know, he kind of revealed something new about this franchise that I didn't know uh, is of I think, pretty, pretty darn cool. And uh, again, Blue, I'm going to I'm going to stick with what you had to say. I feel really bad for the guys that he passed. On. <laughs> <laughs> I know we know your heart was in the right place. 
All right, let's move on to our top three new releases. MLB The Show 23. PS5, Xbox Series XS, PS4, Xbox One, Switch. MLB The Show 23 gets you closer than ever to living your baseball dreams on the diamond. Shock the game and own the show with your favorite players, your favorite rivalries, and all your favorite MLB moments. Live out your baseball dreams with expanded commentary and in-game presentation updates that bring updated broadcast themes, realistic 3D environments including new external views of your favorite MLB stadiums, and more detail to uniforms and equipment. Dredge, PS5, Xbox Series XS, PS4, Xbox One, Switch, PC. Dredge is a single-player fishing adventure with a sinister undercurrent. Sell your catch, upgrade your boat, and dredge the depths for long-buried secrets. Explore a mysterious archipelago and discover why some things... Archipelago. Oh. I'm sorry. Uh, I'm sorry. And discover why some things are best left forgotten. Starting from your new home, the Marrows, take to the water and scour the depths for curious collectibles and over 125 deep-sea denizens. Explore each area while completing quests and visiting neighboring island regions, each with its own unique opportunities, inhabitants, and secrets. Archipelago sounds like a uh, restaurant, like an Italian restaurant. Welcome to Archipelago! (laughs) (laughs) We really recommend the squid ink pasta. (laughs) Well done, well done. Crime Boss, Rocket City, PS5, Xbox Series X and S, and PC. After the demise of the previous Crime Boss, there's an open vacancy for a new king of Rocket City. But it isn't just you who is fighting for the throne. Choose your crew based on their skills and expertise, and execute daring missions with the hopes of walking away with the cash, the turf, and ultimately the crown. Rocket City doesn't just look and feel like the 90s, you'll find a few familiar faces there too, featuring Michael Madsen, Michael Rooker, Kim Basinger, Danny Glover, Damien Poitier, Danny Trejo, Vanilla Ice, and Chuck Norris. It's not what you know, but who you know. Based on the games for this week, Blue, what are you picking? (sighs) (laughs) I don't like baseball. I don't like fishing. That leaves me with Rocket City by default. I don't want to play that either, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, you'd be happy to know that Rocket City is a first-person game. Great. <laughs> like first-person shooter. I love first-person shooters. Oh, yeah, you know what? <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> it's a clean sweep. None this week? None this week. I will have none. <laughs> Ryan, what about you? Uh, I'm in the same boat. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, MLB The Show... Never been into baseball games. If this was hockey, maybe, but definitely not baseball. Uh, Dredge, I, uh, I've done enough fishing in games to know that I don't like it. So definitely going to pass on that one. And the only thing that would make me want to play Crime Boss Rocky City is that Danny Trejo is in it. Because I love Danny Trejo. You can probably just watch <laughs> cutscenes with him in it. So yeah, that's what we'll do. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Donnie? I think I can guess, though. You don't know me. An educated guess. (laughs) (laughs) MLB The Show 23, not not on my radar. Uh, I've stopped playing MLB The Show games a long time ago. All this stuff can just be done in an update. There's really no enhancements that are done with these things every single freaking year. Give me a player roster update and I'll be good. Um, Dredge, it looks okay. They're describing it as like a, what, a survival horror fishing simulator. (laughs) 
words I never thought would come together. <laughs> I mean, unless you're talking about Jaws. I guess. There you go. <laughs> the artwork looks pretty, pretty good. There's certain things that'll happen. Like in if you're driving the boat and you push a little too hard with the engine, the engine can blow up and you've got to repair stuff. So it's not like you're constantly fishing. Like you're actually like you're playing Seaman for the Dreamcast with the controller and you're trying to fish. It's not <laughs> like that. But it's not really my cup of tea, although I would not be opposed to checking it out. That leaves us with Crime Boss Rock A City. It looks amazing. It looks, I mean, it's, it's a clear and present ripoff of, of uh, Grand Theft Auto. Um, oh, yeah. And, and in all reality, it's Vice City, just like on like mounds and mounds of cocaine. So <laughs> from what I'm seeing, you can go on different missions and stuff, different heists uh, as a first person shooter. I like that. So you could basically play out the whole uh, scene of heat with the bank robbery. I think I would definitely be into that. So I, I'm going to probably play crime boss rock a city, not on launch. Maybe when it's like five or $10 question for you is which celebrity are you most excited for? Did you not hear his voice light up when he said Vanilla Ice? (laughs) (laughs) I was assuming that. I just wanted some confirmation. That's all. I mean, Danny Glover? Uh, Get too old for this. (laughs) Danny Trejo? There's so many Dannys. But Chuck Norris. Chuck Norris is the sheriff in this one. So he's a good guy, but he's got like uh, obviously everything that you've heard about Chuck Norris uh, with him being an immortal badass from the stuff that I've seen, like the video game play, the dude's like doing a push up, and then a a basketball comes bouncing towards his way and he just swats it out of the air, but yet it goes up in the stratosphere and hits a, a a satellite. So I don't know what's going on with that, but I like it. Probably the mounds and mounds of cocaine. (laughs) You're not wrong. I think the only thing this game is missing is like a snake Plissken cameo. I guess you have to play it. (laughs) All right, before we move on, let's take a quick break to talk about our sponsor. This segment is proudly sponsored by the Leadus Podcast. It's a show where three friends and occasional guests play games about video games, including trivia, game show games, and more. Here is this week's trivia question. In 2007, the National Academy of Television Arts and Sciences doled out Emmy Awards to Sony and Nintendo in the category of Peripheral Development and Technological Impact of Video Game Controllers. Sony won it for the DualShock controller, and Nintendo won it because of what particular innovation introduced all the way back in 1983. Tune into the Leadist podcast this Wednesday to hear the answer. You can find the Leadist on your favorite podcast platform, and we'll also have their links in the show notes. I think I know this. I would hope that you do. I would like to think I know it. Donnie, you go first. Yeah, you go first. Uh, okay, so, I mean, the peripheral development and technological impact. I mean, instinctively, I, I, I want to say like... Redacted. Originally, that is what I went with, but I was wrong. Tell me, it's redacted. Correct. You got uh, it. Uh, what? Uh, <laughs> Say that. Do that again. Uh, you uh, 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 if you could see me, I'd like punching the air. Uh, uh, uh. 
All right, everybody. So we have a very special guest who's going to be joining us on the podcast, Carrie Ann Hoskins. Carrie is a model, martial artist, weightlifter, wrestler, and stunt worker. You know her for her roles in NBA Jam, the Aerosmith game Revolution X, and of course, the sacred role of the toughest woman in video games, Mortal Kombat's Sonya Blade. We are so excited to welcome Carrie to the Gamers Week podcast. Carrie, thank you so much for joining the show. Oh, thank you. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Awesome. Well, we'll go ahead and jump right in. So, Carrie, did you have much experience with video games prior to acting in them? Did you play video games as a kid? Absolutely not. <laughs> no. <laughs> we could not afford those uh, video games growing up. My brother and I um, mostly played outside. Um, I was a tomboy and um, I eventually had six sisters. I was um, number two. My brother was number three. But yeah, six, six, six sisters and one brother is the family that I come from and grew up on a farm and climbed trees and caught frogs and snakes and, you know, fed the chickens and the goats and had that kind of life. The video games just uh, weren't part of it. Um, I remember my dad for Christmas got us an Odyssey game. Do you remember that? Oh yeah. Console, yeah. yeah. So we'd play like Pong and uh, billiards. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's about it. And then I was just kind of um, thrown into it. My siblings started in my 20s. My siblings started get into uh, Sega and um, played uh, Sonic the Hedgehog. And I mostly just watched. I just wasn't really interested in playing. It um, kind of frustrated me. <laughs> <laughs> so... You played Sonya Blade in Mortal Kombat after Elizabeth Malecki left the role. What was the process of getting cast like? And were there any difficulties in assuming such an iconic role? Well, um, I actually started out with Playboy and I was doing some production work for them. I, I went from modeling to um, being a producer for their newsstand specials. And I was actually in the office in Chicago one day and Jack Hager called looking for a couple models for a video game called NBA Jam. And they gave the phone to me. They had no idea what the heck he was talking about. Like, why would you need models for a video game? <laughs> um, so I, I spoke with them for a few minutes and I thought, well, this is kind of interesting. So I got another model and we showed up for the shoot and um, they wanted us to be cheerleaders. And I brought one of the lovables with me, um, Lorraine Olivia. And uh, I... I had no idea about cheerleading. I, I never cheerleaded when, in high school or anything like right. that. So <laughs> she just kind of stood on the side and told me what to do when it was my turn. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, I, you know, I was a gymnast and all that stuff. So whatever she was doing was pretty easy for me. Just, you know, big smile, ponytail, <laughs> <laughs> bop your head, <laughs> act bubbly. And it was fun. So they... They liked working with me, so he asked me to do another video game, Revolution X. And it kind of it was kind of funny because they had all these video games going, um, you know, with different groups of people. And I was kind of like passed around from game to game in the very beginning. And then Mortal <laughs> Kombat came up, Mortal Kombat 3. They were looking for a new Sonya, and I didn't have to audition or anything like that. They just asked me if I wanted the part. And, oh, and nice. Yeah. So that was the next game I did. And... Um, it was a blast. Love it. Was it tough to step into such big shoes like Sonya Blade, where there's a lot of expectations placed on you, or you just kind of jumped in and didn't think about it? 
I have I have no idea because I didn't play video games, so it was just a game called Mortal Kombat to me. I had heard about it. They told me the role. I'm like, okay, I can do that. These are all the moves you got to do, and you know, there's some martial arts in there. I had a little bit of martial arts training, but mostly it was somebody on the side again saying, "Do this, do this," or um, "What else can you do? Do some gymnastics moves." Or, and a lot of it that they used back then with the actors was it was basically like, "Okay, what can you do?" So we'd, right. we'd show them a move or something that you know was kind of um, just us, you know, like me doing a handstand or. Um, I had a little bit of WWF wrestling training in me, so I was doing stuff like that, and um, and they would just record it and make a move out of it, like my friendship move, you know, with my arm swinging. That uh-huh. was just me waiting for the next shot. You know, oh no, kidding! <laughs> the computers would crash all the time. We were using a camcorder, and it was rigged up to a computer, and the computers would crash because they didn't have enough RAM. <laughs> they were doing pioneer stuff, you know, <laughs> and the computers could not. Um, catch up with what we were doing. So there was a lot of downtime just waiting for the next shot. And that friendship move was just me being a goofball waiting for the next (laughs) shot. (laughs) That is so cool. I love that. So you you had no idea whatsoever about like the fallout uh, with what happened with some of the previous Mortal Kombat actors uh, and and what happened with that. You just, you, you were asked to do this role and you stepped into it and the rest is history. Yeah, I, I had heard a little bit of what, about what was going on with the, the legalities and that kind of stuff and how they were looking for new characters for the Mortal Kombat 3. And Mortal Kombat 3 had a big change to it compared to 1 and 2. The characters uh-huh. changed. And, right. and so it just kind of made sense to bring in new characters anyway. I didn't know what was going on with the old characters, didn't care. This was just, it was a gig to me. Right. You know, um, you sign a contract and you read it. And you keep your word. That's that's all I needed to know. <laughs> you know, you don't go back and say, wait a minute, your game is doing really good, so I should get more money now. That doesn't work that way. You sign a contract yeah. and whatever happens, happens afterwards. So now, you know, moving forward, you, you auditioned for the role of Sonya Blade in Mortal Kombat, the movie, the sequel, which was, I think it was Annihilation. But that role eventually went to Sandra Hess. Can you talk about the audition process and kind of the emotions of kind of not getting that role, even though you were Sonya Blade? Oh, I don't want to talk about it. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it was really a pivotal moment in time for me because I was thrown into Hollywood. Here you have this farm girl growing up, you know, and um, I, I always felt like I was kind of grounded And, you know, I could jump into a role, no problem. And, you know, I was on tour. Um, I had spent a year on tour, you know, just performing my heart out. We were doing like three shows a day. And, you know, I was working with the producers that were producing the movie at the time. And I became friends with them. And I say them, it's really one person. But it, um, it was kind of a disappointment because I was, it was down to three girls and I was up for the part for Sonia. And there was some personal stuff that was going on that I decided that Hollywood wasn't for me at that point. And I went back home and started having babies and a family. And okay. uh, it just it just wasn't my thing. I didn't like what you had to do to get a part and, and all of the fake stuff that was going on in Hollywood right. and stuff. It just, and now I know why, you know, because I was just diagnosed with autism um, this year. And it took a, a whole year, you know, with psychologists and all that stuff. And, and now it, I really get it why I did not fit in in Hollywood. 
Right. I'm, I am a very blunt person. I will tell you what's on my mind. If I don't think something's right, I will not do it. I will not do it. It's just kind of like how I, I live my life. You know, you, you work really hard and you get what you deserve. And sometimes you don't because there's always somebody better. And that's my story. <laughs> <laughs> so I imagine it was at least a little bit of a consolation when you saw the reception to that movie and that it was pretty universally hated. You know what? I still have not even seen it to this day. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> She's playing the yourself. long game. Stay away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'm not bitter. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> so could you tell us about your experiences traveling with the live action Mortal Kombat crew? Do you have any crazy stories you could share with us? Oh God, I got many. I've, I've yes. got many. <laughs> Excellent. That was a crazy time in my life. And for this this girl who was not much more than a yellow belt getting thrown into this stage show <laughs> with a bunch of twenty with about twenty black belts, um, mostly men, they did not want me to be on tour. Um the the uh, choreographer did not want me to be on tour. It was Pat Johnson. He um, he was choreographer for like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Karate Kid, the Mortal Kombat movies. And when he saw me try out for the tour, he laughed and said, "She's useless." You know, because wow. I, I had you know I was like a yellow belt in Tang Sudo. I had no idea. But the producer said she's the original Sonya Blade in the game we got to have her because we want her to help promote. And, and that's what I did a lot. I, I, I would fly or, you know, drive ahead of the team and I would do all the promotional work with, you know, TV, radio stations, newspapers, all that stuff and get them the town ready for the show to come to town. Um, even spoke at schools and that kind of stuff. It was, it was a lot of fun. And then prepare for the, the tour. We spent three months in the Catskill Mountains and I worked 12 hours a day for three months. Um, at the end of it, Pat Johnson came up to me and, and took his words back and said, um, you have balls of steel. I was huh. wrong. <laughs> and Very nice. That meant so much to me. And, oh, I you know, I, I was on tour for a year. I did every show. And I actually even dislocated my knee at one point during a show in Kalamazoo. Oh. Um, we were doing a fight scene and there was a point where one of the uh, Baraka guys take me and throw me up in the air. I do a back tuck and I come back down and I landed on his foot. His foot was in the way when I came down. So my knee dislocated oh. and uh, I laid on the ground and his eyes were as wide. He had his ninja mask on, but you could still see his eyes and they were as big as a saucer's. Oh. <laughs> Everything was pre-recorded, so we didn't have to worry about voice. So I, I say to him, um, put me in a headlock and drag me backstage. So he puts me in a headlock and, and, and drags me backstage, and I sit on the edge, edge of the stage, and I go, pull it out. And he goes, I ain't f***ing touching it. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, pull it out. It hurts like hell. And, it, you know, my knee's like to the side. Right. And he goes, uh, no way, no way. His, his face is turning green and he's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> so I pulled it out myself, popped it back into place. Ooh. I taped it up. I, I had to go back out on stage because it, everything was pre-recorded and I still had a part left. Right, where right. I would have to walk upstairs, look at Shang Tsung, and then there was like smoke and then I would jump down through a, a trap door and then I was gone. And that was the end of my part. But- we only had a couple minutes, you know, 
So I wrap it up and the adrenaline's keeping me going from feeling the pain and all that stuff. Right, and right, right. So I walk up the stairs, you know, with one leg at a time. <laughs> and um, when I jumped down, I had to jump down on one leg. And then um, they brought me to the hospital right after that. And my ACL had busted. Oh, oh my God. Did it bust it? Oh, yeah. It, my ACL just totally popped off and um, oh. I needed surgery. I wasn't going to like not finish the tour. So it took me about, I would say a week. I just rehabbed on my own. I got a brace and I said, I'm going to finish this tour. We only had a couple months or something like that. And I remember when I came back the first show, the um, producer, the producer put everybody into a room except for me and basically said this crazy bitch. Um, <laughs> she still wants to perform. <laughs> so everybody take it easy on her. <laughs> you know, this is what my friends told me after they came out of this room that I wasn't invited to. <laughs> but yeah, wow. I, finished the tour. I waited for about, you know, a few months and then I went and got my surgery and it took about eight months to rehab that. And it's still good as new. I have no problems with it. <laughs> good. Wow. <laughs> That's insane. Talk about the show must go on. Yeah. No, I do feel it when it's about to rain. <laughs> <laughs> it's I've a got special power. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, talk about mad respect from everybody else. Uh, I would assume that everybody sees how badass that is to get hurt, to blow out your ACL, and then to come back and finish the tour. And honestly, you know, that whole, you've got balls. I think you just proved it through that story. So. Exactly. <laughs> no, I think it was really just an autistic thing. I needed to finish. Yeah, there, <laughs> <go>. <laughs> there was like, there was no, not going to ha have anyone tell me that I wasn't going to finish this tour out. It was like the furthest from my mind. It's like, I, I have to finish. This is what I promised. I had my goals and this is what I'm going to do. I worked hard for this. I'm going to finish it. Right. Well, still, mad respect. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Any other uh, stories you have from the tour? Oh, just a ballroom brawl. <gasps> <laughs> you know, one of those boring things. <laughs> right. Nobody wants to hear about that. We actually had people that would challenge us once in a while. I remember oh. <laughs> we were right on the border to go to Tijuana in Mexico, and we were in California performing. So, after the show, we walked to Tijuana, we crossed the border, partied all night, and then we're walking back. I don't know, it was probably like one o'clock in the morning, and we're about to cross the border, and there is this gang lined up in front of us, and they had knives. Oh, my God. And they think they're going to rob us. The guys stepped forward, and we all started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. And of course, it kind of threw the gang back. They're like, why are these people laughing at us? We have knives. We're going to kill them if they don't give us whatever we want. One of the guys on our team goes, do you know who we are? <laughs> they're like, no. <laughs> and he tells them and all of a sudden they put their knives away and they're like, oh man, we're so sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about your all-time backfires. Yeah. <laughs> And I actually think they had a little respect for us, too. It's like, wow, man, cool. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and another time was in New Orleans. We had finished a show. It was a hard day. We had probably done about like three shows that day because it was New Orleans. And we were at a restaurant. The whole team was at a table. And one by one, people were leaving. And it came down to me and Hakeem and his brother, Shaw. Hakeem played Jax. 
He's like seven feet tall. <laughs> and me, this little blonde girl, and his brother, Shaw, who um, I forgot Shaw's part. I think he was a Baraka or a ninja or something. Anyway, we're sitting at the table and everybody had gone and we're drinking and eating horseradish and that kind of stuff. And the maitre d' comes up and says, there's people that left that didn't pay their bill. And we're like, well, it's not our bill. (laughs) (laughs) What do you want us to do? Um, So we walked up to the, to the maitre d's desk and he got really mad and Hakeem leaned over to him and said something derogatory to him. And he got mad and took a stapler or something and whipped it at him. And it split in two in the air and hit me in the face. Whoa. So of course I got mad and I jumped over the counter and grabbed his neck and the whole place started fighting. (laughs) (laughs) And Pretty soon, you know, I'm in this crowd of people and I'm just swinging and punching people. And I I don't know what Hakeem was doing. He was probably standing in the corner laughing. And all of a sudden I was put into a headlock and I couldn't move. And I look up and it's Sydney. He played Shang Tsung and he was like a 250 pound Samoan. (laughs) And I look up and I go, oh, hi, Sid. And he goes, Carrie, what are you doing? (laughs) My guy threw something at me and blah, blah, blah. And the police were there and they brought us out and they were going to arrest us. And I go, don't worry, I'll take care of this. (laughs) So (laughs) I go and I talk to the police and I'm like, you know, we just want to we just want to sit down and have privacy and eat our meal and there's people that start fights with us because we're in Mortal Kombat and I'm giving them all this bullshit <laughs> and he's listening and he goes oh man I'm I'm so sorry he's like can I have your autograph uh, <laughs> nice <laughs> and then the manager comes up and he's all bloodied and he's holding ice on his chin and I said oh I'm what happened to you and he goes um, you punched me. <laughs> I'm really sorry. I I was blind. <laughs> <laughs> the blind rage, yeah. <laughs> yes, but yeah, that was uh, my first barroom brawl. <laughs> <laughs> so every actor brings their own approach to the characters that they play, regardless of what's written for them. And besides Sonia's friendship move, what were some of the contributions you made to the characters you brought to life when working with Midway? And can any of those contributions still be seen in the way those characters are portrayed today? Sonia just kind of evolved over time. You know, she was a badass. She was pretty stoic. Over the years, she's become my favorite person. And um, going through what I have with my my sons who have cerebral palsy and and almost not making it at times, they're 25 now, um, you, just, you just put on your game face and you stay strong and you do what needs to be done. And I kind of identified that with Sonia. She's strong and she puts on her game face. And sometimes there's just not room for emotions. Right. Even though I feel, I feel emotions 100%. I feel like I'm more sensitive than the average person. Sometimes there's just not a place for it in life. Well, I think that's interesting because often we think about actors putting themselves into a character, but it sounds like it also went the other way where the character somehow had an influence on you at times. I think that's really, really cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. So I would imagine this is true, but do you, you get recognized often in everyday life as, as Sonia or your other characters? Um, it depends on where I am. You know, if I'm in that kind of environment, yeah, I do get uh, recognized. But, you know, if I go out 
to a restaurant or something like that. Most likely not. You know, my, my market is pretty small. It's video game people. <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't call that a small market. <laughs> well, back where I could be recognized when it was Mortal Kombat 3, where they put people in the game. Right. Literally. Mortal Kombat 4. To do that, I didn't have to do any moves. All I had to do was stand there and take pictures on the, in the costume. And then they wrapped my images around someone who had already done the motion capture. Oh, no kidding. We don't talk about Mortal Kombat 4 here. <laughs> <laughs> well, that Sonya has to have a little bit of love, too. There she does. So I would imagine that you've probably had some strange encounters. Do you, do you want to share maybe your weirdest encounter you've ever had with a fan or uh, an interesting or funny story with a fan encounter? I think they're all weird, actually. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> because it's, it's just a different world than I'm used to, you know, right. playing video games and that kind of stuff and, and being so into it. I've never been like the, um, the fan type where I'm like totally obsessed over somebody. Right. So it's hard for me to identify with that. And I always kind of feel silly when people make a big deal out about, about meeting me because I feel like I'm just like them. <laughs> you did a job. You performed a job. Yeah, I performed a job and I don't feel like I should be idolized for it. <laughs> right. But um, it's, it, it can be a lot of fun. It's just, it, I think they're all weird. <laughs> and somebody looks at me like with those starry, starry eyes, I'm just like, I feel uncomfortable almost. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that for sure. If you ever see uh, any, any one of us at a video game convention, guaranteed we will not make it weird for you. <laughs> I bet. Don't believe him. He makes it weird for everyone. <laughs> <laughs> so no fan has ever come up to you and try to throw a punch? No. No, they want to they pretend or they want me to like, do a, you know, handstand and choke them or something. <laughs> and I always oblige that. I have no problem choking somebody out, <laughs> choking them in the head. That is not weird to me because I will do that in, in a second. <laughs> so let me get this straight. You want to you wanna pay me money for yeah. me to choke you? Uh, yeah. No problem. Right Give me the cash. <laughs> I'll go right into my character for that. <laughs> <laughs> so, Carrie, uh, moving on kind of past games, some people might not know that you actually run marathons. So could you pretty please tell us that you've participated in a marathon wearing a full Sonya Blade gear? Please, please tell us that's true. <laughs> it's on the list. Okay. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, you know, when you're running a marathon, you have very specific outfits to wear that aren't going to chafe you and do mm -hmm. all that kind of stuff. Right. And Sonya Blade's costume would not be marathon <laughs> worthy. <laughs> but let's, yeah, let's put it on the list that the Sonya Blade gear and a marathon. Um, actually, you don't run marathons anymore, do you? No, I was diagnosed with Ehlers-Danlos when I was um, age 42. And my doctor said, running marathons are like the worst thing that you could oh. be doing for your body. And I can't believe you actually did it <laughs> like five times because I have, I have problems with um, nutrition. And as my body is running, I can't absorb the correct nutrition to keep me going. So um, I would hit the, hit the wall and it's twice as hard for me to come back after that wall. Right. But I did it. I kept on doing it. And half marathons I did much better at. But now these days I I stick to, you know, under five miles a day and keep it slow and 
you know, as you get older, you got to take care of yourself and listen to your body. Mm-hmm. That's why I don't run anymore. <laughs> maybe, maybe I could do a 5K in a Sony outfit. Someday. Yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> Something. So what's more difficult then for you having to overcome uh, tearing your ACL or hitting the wall during a marathon? I don't know. They're kind of the same. Yeah, I figured. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I've hit like mile 12 or 13, you know, where the sciatica kicks right. in and, and you're dragging your leg across the finish line at the end. So Oof. it's kind of the same. <laughs> <laughs> I've actually run a marathon on a broken leg. I had oh. a stress. Yeah, I had a stress fracture and I didn't know it. I thought I just had like shin splints, you know. Right. Okay. <laughs> Went to the doctor after actually I did two marathons. I didn't like my time for the first one. So I waited a couple of weeks and I did another one. And I went to the doctor afterwards and I said, my shin still hurts. It's not getting better. And he took some x-rays and he goes, well, it was broken, but it is healing now. <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> so along with marathon running, you're also a very talented artist. Uh, in this regard, how difficult is it to get people to remove the Sonia Blade factor and focus on Carrie Hoskins as a person and her interests? It's very difficult. So I, I actually sometimes combine the two and it's really fun. It's been really fun because, you know, there are a lot of artists in the gaming industry too. And um, it it's meshed pretty well with me. Um, I do some epoxy resin work. I call it Sonia Blade coasters or... Um, I've designed some t-shirts, you know, I, I will shoot my own photos and, and Photoshop them and, and that kind of stuff to, to post on Instagram and that kind of stuff. And, um, so it's, it's actually been kind of fun. You know, I, I love being an artist and I love being creative and incorporating Mortal Kombat into it has been a lot of fun for me. I even did like nice. a kiss of death sculpture. Oh, that's nice. awesome. Yeah. I casted my lips which burned the hell out of my lips. <laughs> oh, oh, <laughs> dedication. Yeah. yeah, I make these little sculptures with my lips in them. <laughs> <laughs> That's super cool. Do you have anything else as far as plans from a, a artist perspective? Is there any other media that you want to get into? Um, actually, right now, I am doing something pretty brave. <laughs> um, I have a lot of anxiety about it, but I am recovering my countertops, which are currently granite. I don't like them. I don't like the colors of the granite. So I am recovering all of them in epoxy oh. and making them exactly how I want them with a, a white marble over them. That sounds super cool. Yeah. That sounds super difficult too. Yeah, as yeah. well. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a huge learning curve when it comes to epoxy, but I've been doing it for several years now. So I feel like I'm ready to do my countertops. I'll be posting about that soon. Nice. How uh how is your relationship with the Midway family? Oh, it's great. I love them is all. It? We've all kind of um stuck, you know, in contact over the years and especially social media and that kind of stuff, but a lot of them aren't on social media where we just text and check in on each other once in a while. Great guys. But I just finished a a pinball game. And I saw that. I, yeah, I worked with Jack Hager again. I think it's coming out tomorrow. Oh, is it really? Yeah. They've been sending teasers, and I don't know what I can share or not because I'm not supposed to. <laughs> um, I can't tell you about my character, but this is a pinball game where they actually put real people in the game. You know, just like I started out, they um, they hired me for this job, and 
I can't wait for everybody to see it. It's a pinball and it's going to be interactive where you have to make choices. Nice. Yeah, it's called Galactic Tank Force. It's an outer space pinball game. One of their last teasers, they had my laugh at the end, which I was like, ooh, that's creepy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Carrie, uh, it has been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. And we really appreciate you providing us with some really cool stories and some insight uh, into your experiences, uh, especially when it connects to video games, which, of course, is our topic of choice. But uh, where can people connect with you online uh, if they want to find your stuff? Oh, all my social medias are at Carrie Ann Gallery. Perfect. So you're on Instagram, you're on Twitter. What else are you on? Facebook. Don't bother going to my TikTok because <laughs> <laughs> I just can't get into it. I, I mean, you got three social medias and it takes up so much time anyway. And then, you know, they add in another one and I'm just over it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, next week there will be another flavor of the month in regards to social media, and everybody <laughs> will flock to that one and leave all the other ones behind, like MySpace. Oh my God, MySpace. I miss MySpace. That was so much fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, were you, on your MySpace page, were you the type of person that had a list of songs that as soon as somebody loaded up, it just blared in their ears? Yeah, and I did all the coding and changed the background yeah, and yes, yes. what I want. <laughs> <laughs> Carrie, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. We really do appreciate it. Definitely check out Carrie's socials uh, on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Carrie Ann Gallery. And again, thank you so much. It's been awesome. Thank you so much for having me. This is fun. All right, let's go ahead and wrap up the show. Thank you for listening to episode 66 of Gamers Week podcast. And a big thank you to the Retro Game Club podcast, the latest podcast, and Love Retro BTW for sponsoring this episode. Don't forget to check out their links in the show notes. And also a last great big thank you to Carrie Ann Hoskins for the interview. We really love talking to you and we'd love to have you back on the show sometime. Definitely. Thank you, Carrie. If you want to connect Mom. with Gamers Week. Never mind. What? Go ahead. <laughs> no, I was going to no. scream Mortal Kombat, but no, that, that it's over. No, Mom's gone. please, please. Mom's gone. Nope. <laughs> Go ahead. Mortal Kombat. If you want to connect with Gamers Week, follow us on Twitter at Gamers Week PC. Email us at gamersweekpodcast at gmail.com. Visit our merch store at gamers-week-podcast.creator-spring.com. Or if you want to do it the easy way, follow the link in the show notes. Join us on Patreon at patreon.com slash gamersweek. And finally, since you made it all the way to the end of this episode, please leave us a rating and a review to let us know how we did. We really do value your feedback. And while you're there, consider subscribing on iTunes, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice that's it for us tonight thanks everyone for listening and we hope to see you this weekend at midwest gaming classic if you see us please stop by and say hello we'd love to talk to you and ask donnie for a mouth kiss (laughs) uh what (laughs) don't ask questions just let it go let it happen man (laughs) i i will trade you a mouth kiss for a complete inbox test market set so if you have a test market set complete in box i will give you a mouth kiss we'll trade <laughs> donnie is whoring himself out for a test <laughs> i mean everyone has their price right? <laughs> all right good night everybody good night mortal combat <laughs> gee thanks <laughs>
Good night. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut. Welcome to Gamers Week Uncut, patrons with benefits. This is the unscripted patron-only bonus cast with less editing and more dirty jokes. We don't know where the conversation will go, but we're sure it will be weird. This fish just went right on my nipple. And I'm just like, <laughs> I Google Street Fighter 6. The first search result that comes up is people think they can see reused in the Street Fighter 6 reveal. <laughs> Listen up here, kids. You're not going to want to get one of those VDSTDs things, right? Make your fall off. When you go, grab a pro. You'll be doing it for America. That was perfect. <laughs> if you want to hear weekly episodes of our patron-only bonus cast, join us at patreon.com slash gamersweek.